0: I am second because I've discovered what it means when he is first. If we're to see our land healed, if we're to see people's lives restored, if we're to see the breach repaired and our streets calmed, it's going to be because Jesus Christ is lifted up And that Jesus Christ is lifted up in the prominent first position that he is. And Jesus Christ can draw people to him and draw people to one another. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to take for granted that we live on this side of the cross where Jesus was lifted up. And he died for our sins and for the salvation of the world. But it's a new normal on this side of the cross. And so that's where I want to land. We've spent these weeks talking about the new normal. And the new normal, we thought, well, maybe COVID, how is it? This is definitely new normal here for us in-house and for you at home. But the new normal is this huge transition that God made in our world when His Son, Jesus Christ, was sent to this earth He lived, he died, he rose from the grave, he ascended to the heavens, he sent his spirit back, and he's coming again. And he is about redeeming and reconciling everything. You and I live in a big picture frame that's talking about God's story. You might think it's about your story, but your story fits into his story. And he is on this redemptive path. And he is establishing a new normal. He is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. He is going to establish us in an eternal kingdom. And we get to participate in it if we are followers of this Jesus. And so the new normal, we've looked at a few things. We looked at the basin and the towel, which had to do with our identity. That we are called to be servants. And serving, being a servant is not something we do. It's who we are. And Jesus, God himself, come in the flesh to serve people, to give his life as a ransom for many. He demonstrated it. He calls us to it. The basin and the towel. He washed his disciples' feet before he went to the cross, symbolizing to them what they needed to do. And then we talked about the new heaven and the new earth and the understanding that we have a destiny that is so mind-boggling and incredible that that future really should come back and redefine how we live our day and how we operate from from week to week. That new heaven and a new earth rushing in towards this world. It's that part of that picture frame of the redemptive work that God is doing. And then on the day of Pentecost, we talked about the spirit and the fire. And the spirit of the fire is not so, ooh, wow, look at all that cool stuff, and people speaking in different languages. That was the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. But the fact of the matter is, we live in the new normal, which is the new normal of a permanent, indwelling Holy Spirit with us if we're followers of Jesus. No longer is the Spirit coming upon people and then pulling back, right? Right? Jesus dwells within us through his Spirit, and the day of Pentecost was a new normal because never before in history had there been a permanent, ongoing, indwelling of the Holy Spirit himself. And it's a scary thought. Think about it. Maybe you haven't thought about it this morning. But you walked in, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you brought the temple with you. The Spirit of God dwells within you and me that's like, whoa, I don't have to go to a temple anymore? The temple dwells within me? Then I better, better be careful where I take this temple, right? Maybe I ought to tune in to hear the Spirit's voice more because He's right here with me. That's a new day. It's a new normal. And then last week with the social injustice, we talked about the well and the dream and how Jesus uh, reached out to the Samaritan woman at the well on a hot day. And the disciples were like, what's it doing talking to that lady? Right? And Jesus came for all people. He is the Lord of all. And he had to show Peter as well because he didn't learn it when he was here walking with him on the earth. But when Christ ascended, he sent his spirit. And he had to teach Peter that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. And so Cornelius called had Peter come. And Peter gave the gospel message to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. So there's a little bit of review in case you missed a few weeks. We now have video. Did you know that? You can go watch some of those weeks if you want. And it's not that I want you to watch me. Or that. I want us to grow, to become stronger disciples of Christ, to be in his word, And it's important for us to do that, not only once every seven days, but you on your own, us during the week, maybe even catching other people that have done live streams. May we grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of the Word because we are called to a new normal today. I want to close this series by talking about the cross and the tomb. We got cheated out of Easter with COVID as far as gathering together. We got cheated out of Good Friday, even though I enjoyed doing that Good Friday message from my home. And we got cheated out of the whole Passion Week. So I said when we got back together, we were going to focus on the cross and the resurrection, and that's where we're at today. We're not going to dive too deeply into the actual details of what happened to cross and resurrection. Many of you know the story of what Christ did that was the pivotal point of all history. But I want us to focus on what this pivotal event the cross and the tomb the empty tomb means for us now that we live on this side of that event it is truly a new normal that we should not take for granted because that new normal is what we will celebrate throughout all of eternity have you thought about that if you were a follower of Jesus Christ you will be alive a google years from now I'm not talking about the website. A Google is one with hundred zeros behind it and even beyond, and we've only begun, right? We will be eternally alive as redeemed human beings. That's our destiny. And when we're a Google years from now, guess what we're going to be celebrating? The cross and the empty tomb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You know, every language, tribe, and nation continuing to still worship the Lord. For you took our sin upon you. you. You were slain for our being, and we are redeemed. And the angels are going to be standing back Oh man, I don't really know what they're talking about, but that's really cool. We sort of saw it. didn't really happen for us. But, man, redeemed humanity, ruling and reigning with Christ for all of eternity. <laughs> we're like, whoo, man, I never get tired of that. Bring it on. Bring Joe back up in the band. Let's sing it again about his reckless love and how he sought us sound. Friends, the pivotal event of the new normal for all of eternity is the cross and the empty tomb. This week I came across uh, a story from uh, Sarah Sanders. You know who she is? Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was White House press secretary. She's the daughter of Mike Huckabee, who ran for president a couple times and was the governor of Arkansas. And she was sharing with uh, an audience about the need to, to, you know, uh, invest your life and uh, make a difference. And she referenced, maybe you've heard this story, she referenced 11-year-old girl who was taken to Israel, to Jerusalem, by her parents. The family vacation. The family wanted to show the biblical sites to her and her brother, older brothers. And uh, they went around a lot of different sites. But there was one place that they wanted to go to as a family, but they were concerned about, her, about this girl's age. She was 11. And it was the Yad Vashem uh, Holocaust Remembrance Center that's in Jerusalem. And as we know, the Holocaust, the Jewish people were not only imprisoned; they were exterminated. Six million Jews died during World War II in Nazi prison camps and by other means. And the mother and the father were concerned about how the 11-year-old would respond going through all the different scenes of this um, museum, really, this Remembrance Center. And so they decided maybe she was mature and old enough to do it and, and they decided that dad would stay with the little girl as they walked around and if it got too much and too overwhelming for her that, that he would take her and, and they would leave. Yad Vashem. So they came in, they began to walk their way around, and all the story was done at that time in a, in a sequential timeline about how they were brought in and, and then you know Auschwitz and what happened there, and pictures of piles of sh- little kids' shoes, and you know they put a, a star of David on the little kids, not to you know uh, be nice to them, but to mark them out and that kind of thing and so from one picture to the next and one uh, uh, setup to the next, this young little girl walked and looked and listened and read and the dad was concerned he would stay sort of close sometimes hold her hand and she didn't say a word he was wondering what was she thinking seeing all this tragedy He got to the end of the visitation line and there was a guest book And you could sign your name in the guest book. And then there was a section for comments. And the young girl grabbed her dad's pen out of his pocket, which he always had, and went up and in her childish scrawl, she wrote her name. And then he leaned over thinking, I wonder if she's going to write a comment. And she did. And after being silent for all that time, taking in the horrors of what happened in the Holocaust, She just simply wrote something that she and her dad remember forever. Why didn't somebody do something? Why didn't somebody do something? I think that's a question our world's asking a little bit today. From George Floyd having a knee placed on him that took his life, you're thinking, why didn't somebody do something? The other police officers, or why was not known there? And then other kinds of injustices that were done. People that have gotten away from uh, being able to be held accountable for prejudice issues. Why didn't somebody do something? You know, you can look back into our slavery in America. Why didn't somebody do something? And eventually, somebody, I guess, did. And and there was the Emancipation Act, and they were freed in that sense. But yet, 400 years later, we're still wrestling with this issue in our country. What is it that's behind the scene? What's in the spiritual realm that causes this still to be so ugly in our world at times? Why didn't somebody do something? And then, then the protesters were doing something, but then it turned ugly, and in some places they became riots, and there was looting, and people took plunder, and you're like, "Would well, somebody do something. I'm watching people just haul out big screen TVs out of Walmart and crashing windows. Somebody should do something. And then there's a movement now to say defund police and that kind of thing, thinking that's going to do something? uh, Let's rethink through this. Why doesn't somebody do something? Maybe that's some of your angst and your heart today concerning all that's going on. Why doesn't somebody do something? And I believe God's calling us as the church to do something. But our do-something is based upon someone who did do something. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And so as we close on this pivotal thought today, living on this side of eternity, the cross and the empty tomb? It was Jesus Christ. He did something about it. He did something about what we see in our world. And we cannot lose sight of that. We steward this message. We steward the life, the presence of the Spirit in us. And we need to be on the front lines proclaiming hope. Because that's what our world needs is hope. Hope. An ultimate hope is not found in uh, societal kinds of answers, sociology. It's found in the theology of who God is, his very character and his nature and what he's done. Well, what, what is it that we needed to do something about? Go all the way back before the cross. Well, there are some pretty big deals that need to have something done, something about. And the first was the problem of sin, the sinful nature. Before the cross and the empty tomb, the problem of sin was dealt with how? You know this. In the Hebrew Scriptures, they would take an animal sacrifice with the blood into the holy place. They would have offerings made. One time a year, there would be the Day of Atonement when the high priest went and did all kinds of rituals into the Holy of Holies. There were continual offerings, sacrifice, sacrificial offerings. Blood, life being poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Sin needed to be dealt with. Not only was it a sin plural problem related to multiple sins, multiple sins of all people, including our sins here today, but the sinful nature itself that is bent towards not obeying and seeking God. Now, here's the interesting thing for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, scripture says, but (laughs) you know what? Sin has sort of a a boomerang kind of thing to it. Sin keeps us from God, and only God can keep us from sin. What we have in our world today is an evasiveness concerning an interest in God. If someone does not have an interest in God... I will readily point out to you that there you have a sinner. Because our sin makes us not want to be with God. Have you ever found yourself in sin? Maybe you're tiptoeing in it right now. I guarantee you this. If you are sinning and you're actively you know, being disobedient to what the Father has told you to do, it will cause distance between you and God. But the very thing you need... To be able to get back in line, to see yourself free from the the chains of sin is God. But what we have in our world is a taboo going on today. It's not only that there is a a disobedience of God or uh, a lack of belief in God. There is apathy and indifference. Why do we not talk about God more? Oh, we can bring that in picture. That's, that's the spiritual stuff. You keep that in the church. No, God is the solution to what we have need of today. There is a sin problem. It is sin that causes racism. Racism is a sin. Prejudice is a sin. Violence is a sin. Stealing, loitering is a sin. But it's not just the act of sin. We've had to catch ourselves on that, right? It's the attitude as well as the actions. For all have sinned. We're all in that camp. So you may have some ugly sins. I may have lighter sins that I think I'm putting over here in the corner. Nobody notices. But we have a sin problem. And when Jesus came, the cross and the empty tomb dealt with the sin problem. And the sinful nature. Because the sinful nature has power to it. And so Jesus came and he did something about the sin problem. He also did something about the power of Satan, evil. Oh my goodness, there's just evil in this world. You're right. There's been evil since Lucifer thought he could hijack heaven and God kicked him out of the heavens. He was an archangel and he cast to the earth a third of all the angels, we believe. And Satan is not a persona. He is a person. He is not omnipresent He's not like the good God and then there's the evil kind of all kind of God. No, it's not that um, kind of understanding, a a sort of a Star Wars evil power and a good power. There's God. He created all things, but he gave will and seemingly somehow Lucifer fell. Satan fell to this earth. He can't get around everywhere, but the other angels work with him. They are sort of uh, connected in a very broken, upside-down kind of kingdom that they operate in that's very divisive. And those other fallen angels, whatever you call them, dark angels, demonic spirits, they are wreaking havoc in this world. And they will look for opportunities, not only in the world, but for your life and your family, my family, to get in there and try to bring division and divide. And that's what's going on. One week after another, division dividing, people putting in camps. I mentioned it last week. There's a book by Richard Beck who is the dean of psychology at a Christian university he was and he talked about reviving old scratch and old scratch is a term for the devil and why don't we talk about the devil anymore? But when he started to work in prisons, he found in prisons that prisoners talk about the devil because they understand that there's evil in the world. They've participated in it. They see it around them. They talk about it. And so he started to see as a Christian that he had sort of scooted away from believing in a personal devil. And he said what happens when we do that as a culture is we then turn on one another and people start pitting themselves against other people. we got to blame the problem somewhere. It wasn't me. I don't do those things. They do those things, right? Or, you know, there's this crowd and there's this other crowd, whether it's a political crowd, whether it's a socioeconomic crowd, whether it's a status crowd, we like to divide into camps. And part of the reason we do that is because we need to put ourselves in a good light and we need to place the blame somewhere else. Friends, the blame comes to us as fallen sinful people, yes, yes. But behind all that even is the power of Satan who's seeking to destroy the image of God in every created person, no matter what their pigmentation is, no matter what their job, their office is, their education, what their age is. He hates the image of God. He will seek to destroy people and he's pitting people against one another. We have to fight that because Satan will bring about Tremendous disruption. He's done it before historically. He can do it again. May we as a nation truly stay one nation under God. Could we please bring the conversation of God back into things? Because that's what our world needs. You steward that message. You have that hope. Turn the conversations. Get people to discuss the hope that we have. Because Jesus did something about it. He came. He died. He rose from the grave. And he dealt with the sin problem. He dealt with the power of Satan, the problem of evil. And the third thing that I mention here is he did something about the promotion of self and pride. That's why our first week in this series we talked about the new normal, the basin and the towel and being a servant. We need to be able to see the ugliness of of our pride and our arrogance, and we need to give up first place. I am second. Get in the back seat. Let the Lord drive. Let him lead your life. That's how you were built. You were built to have communion with God, and when you have communion with God, you will be set free from the sin that so entangles you. And when our world has communion with God, it will find itself resolving a lot of the tension that is at hand. Do you remember Jesus as he's going to the cross? He had all those trials going on. He was talking about a different kingdom he came to put into place. Now, there's some protesters in Seattle this week, I guess, that decided it was best for them to corridor off six square blocks of uh, downtown Seattle to have their own, own autonomous zone. And I thought to myself, I wonder why Jesus didn't do that. Excuse me, excuse me, I'm going to a corridor off Jerusalem here. These blocks here are mine. And my disciples were now going to sit here and do this. Now, you know, all different kinds of opinions on things out there, how people voice their concerns. But when Jesus came, Jesus did not come to establish a physical earthly kingdom quite yet. This is before Pilate. Pilate comes into him. He talks to him. What's going on? Who are you? Are you a king? And Jesus answered Pilate and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Can you see Pilate just sort of scratching and says, What's this guy? Who is this guy? Pilate, he had his power from the Roman government. He was worried about the schisms of the Jewish people. He just needed to deal with this and get on with his day so he could have dinner. But Jesus says, as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. My kingdom is not of this realm. It's not in the physical, natural world that you think of kingdoms. You study the history. The history of the world is what? Kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling, all kinds of people trying to jockey on territory, position, privilege, power, political office. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And what Pilate say after this, remember? Ah, what is truth? Who cares about truth? This is all about power and prominence and prestige, and you're causing a problem. You think you're a king of the Jews, so what, whatever. He takes him back out, and he says to everybody, hey, I find no fault in this guy. You deal with him. Then there was the ruckus. Everybody sort of swelled up and said, you know, crucify him, crucify him, right? And so it went from the trials into the cross. But Jesus was trying to communicate, not only to Pilate, but us today, that if you're going to participate in what he's doing doesn't somebody do something? Then you need to participate in the kingdom that is not of this realm. It's a spiritual kingdom right now. It'll come in its glory when He returns. But the spiritual kingdom He came to establish, and that kingdom deals with sin. It deals with the power of Satan. It deals with the pride of self. He said then in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I ask you here this morning, are you at home? Have you come to know Jesus Christ as the way and the truth? Or do you find yourself, ah, what is truth? I'm just trying to get the bills paid and get my way climbing up the ladder. Jesus is the way, the truth. And he is the answer for the need that we have in our world today. Sin can be completely forgiven, past, present, and future, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, being upright. By his wounds, you have been healed. He did something about it. He shed his blood. He brought in a new covenant. Why did the blood have to be shed? There's many different reasons. It fulfills Old Testament prophecies and, and the religious rituals of that day. But do you know you don't get an inheritance unless somebody dies? You ever tried to get an inheritance before somebody dies? Somebody dies, you get an inheritance. Jesus Christ died and through his death brought about a new covenant, an inheritance that you and I have, beginning with the forgiveness of all of our sin and freedom over the power of sin. Hebrews 9 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Luke 24 5 and 7, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This happened when the ladies went to the tomb, right? Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. He fulfilled the prophecy that He spoke of, though they didn't quite understand it by far. The cross would not have dealt anything if it would not have been for the power of the resurrection. The resurrection brought about the freedom that the cross was meant to bring. Because I live, you shall live also, Jesus said. So that's where we stand. We stand on this side of the cross and the empty tomb. And sin has been forgiven. But the second thing, Satan is defeated. He's defeated and he will be destroyed. He's on a long leash right now, wreaking his havoc, bringing about the evil, the destruction. And it's not them out there, it's right here. When I have indifference in my heart and an unloving spirit towards someone, or I have a selfish kind of spirit, that is the adversary stirring up our sinful nature. And sometimes it's direct oppression. His power has been defeated at the cross. Some of you know I've been involved in some deliverance work through the years, and I tell you what, there's nothing more stunning to me in life than being a prayer session when somebody has spiritual strongholds over them, and we are in a prayer session, a deep prayer session, working through their issues, asking God to free them of some of the entities that have reached and and brought conflict in their life. And when we speak and we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, how they shut down and they stand back and they say yep one striking in particular I remember when we were having a terrible time seeing a person brought to freedom and I'm like maybe I don't have the faith or something else is wrong and we just simply said in the name of Jesus Christ you unclean spirits we take you back to the cross 2000 years ago for what happened on that cross when Jesus Christ died in the power of the resurrection and immediately the unclean spirit just stopped changed its demeanor I know I know I was there I'm thinking really I was there it was my defeat I will leave I'm going like man Jesus powerful what he did at the cross and the resurrection thats powerful You think you're hounded by Satan and his workers? That may sound weird to you. Maybe if you're out there watching the videos, like, wow, where's that pastor going at today? Friends, it's real. Satan is a real person. He's the author of evil. He instigates things. He breeds contempt and concern, stirs up the sinful nature, all kinds of havoc. Sometimes our fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil is direct on attacks of the devil. And I'm telling you, when I am on this side of the cross, what I do in a prayer session, if it's a deliverance conversation, kind of work is I rest not on my words, not on some fancy prayer. I rest on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I say, because Christ defeated you at the cross and through the power of his resurrection, you have no rights to mess with my friend. Yeah. Yeah. That is the authority that we have. And so if we see a world gone amok, don't man, oh, man, I got this sort of help. I pray God, you get us out of this situation. Pray with authority because we're on this side of the new normal. He defeated Satan. And one day he will be destroyed. I'm only going to give you one verse here. I could give you a lot. But Colossians 2.15, I love this verse. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Christ, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. They thought they made a public spectacle of Jesus. They tortured him. They walked him through the streets. They held him up on a cross in public display. Ridicule was thrown at him. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? (laughs) They divided up his garments. And all the time, Jesus at the cross and through the resurrection was dealing with the powers and the authorities in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom that is not of this realm. He was taking care of business, Jesus was, disarming Satan so that you and I here today, where you're at, in your home, you do not have to succumb to the oppression of Satan in your life. So, claim the authority that you have, not in yourself, but because of that finished work of the cross. The cross and the empty tomb. Jesus did something about Satan. One of these days, he'll be cast into the lake of fire, it says in Revelation, and we'll be no more. And it'll be a new day as we move into eternity. But for whatever reason, he's allowing him to roam like a roaring lion today. And we, when we see it on a TV screen, when we see it in our home, when we see it with our friends, May we not become helpless, but may we turn to that which has been provided through the cross. The third is self is able to find true identity in Christ. Self is able to find true identity in Christ. Friends, don't we struggle with this? Pride and arrogance. Oh, we may not be a haughty person, but everything's about me. We're born with a sinful nature that says me first. Me first. It's a radical move in your life to get to the back seat and let him be first. But when we let him be first, he deals with the self-issue gone amok. And he gives us the true identity that we have in him. And that's what Tony Evans was talking about, wasn't it? That's why you wanted to clap. Like, yeah, man! Yeah! I'm second because I know what it means to put him first. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace that you have been saved and god raised us up with christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms it says in verse 6 in christ jesus this is that spiritual kingdom my kingdom's not of this realm what do you mean what do you mean carrie what's this verse really mean you have a place with christ in the heavenly realms you are a son or daughter of the king you're a child of the most high god god raised us up with christ through what happened at the cross and the resurrection, we are seated with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that, in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's why it goes on then and says in verse 8, For it is by grace, right? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, if you've not turned your life over to Jesus Christ, not by anything you can do, not by your works, but if you've not surrendered your life and received Him as your Lord and Savior, saved by grace through faith, then man, there is nothing better that you can do today. Surrender to Him. I invite you to do that in this room and at home that you would find yourself bending your knee. There's a lot of bending of knees talk today, isn't there? That you would bend your knee and proclaim Him as King of kings and Lord of lords and receive Him as your personal Savior. The problem of sin, the power of Satan the promotion of self, Jesus did something about it. And in doing something about that, he does something about a fourth. When I add the prejudices of society, this divisiveness, he did something about it. And what he did was he called out a new community, a new community called the church. The assembly of the followers of Jesus are the church, unified in him, every language, tribe, and nation, every generation past, present, and future will be gathered around the throne on that final day in perfect, blissful unity and one accord. Oh, you looking forward to that worship day? Friends, in the brokenness of our culture today, may we not become discouraged, but may the hope of what Christ has in store and what he's doing call us forward. And may we participate in the work that he's doing. Society will find peace if it's unified in Christ. We have the message. We have that life to offer. May we be diligent in it. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He's calling out his church. I have to remind myself on a daily basis, and I'm even a pastor, that I live in the new normal of the kingdom of God. It's not an escapist mindset where I say, oh, forget this world. It's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just waiting for Jesus to return. That's an escapistic attitude, and Christians have had that, and we've removed ourselves from the public square, and we do not have a voice anymore because of that. We stand at the front of the public square, however God may lead, in private conversations, family conversations, through the church ministry, helping a community, we stand in the public square and we proclaim that there is a kingdom that is not of this realm, that was brought in to its full power through the cross and the empty tomb, and that we have a hope to offer, but they, those who have need, maybe you who have need today or you at home, must bend your knee and receive Christ not only once and for all as your Savior, but every day as your King, every day as your Lord, and live for Him. The Holy Spirit will bring renewal to you. That communion with God will keep you from the sins that are ugly. And you will be able to proclaim boldly a witness in word and deed to a world that is lost. I've pulled back from the news. Some of you have pulled back from social media. That's okay. You've got to get some good headspace. But may we just not throw rocks of Scripture out there. May we go out there and live the living Word of Christ with people, one at a time. You're not going to save the whole world. That's not your job. It's not mine. But you have a world of influence. And you can influence those people to come to know Christ and to live for Christ. Or a fellow Christian to realize, oh, remember today we live in the new normal. We are not to be bound and discouraged by the attacks of the enemy, the ugliness of the sinful nature, the pride of self. We have hope. And that hope is because of the new normal of the cross and the empty tomb. Will you pray with me? Lord, in this hour, may we find ourselves enriched to head back through these doors out into a world of need. And in our own circles of influence, Lord, may we lift high the cross of Christ. Lord, may we be filled with your spirit and may we proclaim your kingdom until you come again, both in word and in deed. For us as a church, empower us, quicken us, Turn us inside out to be an externally focused church. May we go from here and go from our homes this week as we're allowed. And may we find ourselves full of joy because you're with us and you're working through us to reach others who need that joy too. And God's people said, amen amen and amen. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, there's just simply... um, Email me at pray at theawakening.church. i would be glad to interact with you, pray with you. And uh, you're going to be dismissed here by Rose. Are you just going to have them go up? There we go. I guess you're not going to be dismissed by Rose. We're trying to do protocol around here. But uh, the offering, you can text that word on website or there's baskets on your way out. God bless. Have a great, great Sunday.